My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Kimodamashi, a Japanese word defined as a test of one's liver or a test of one's courage. This word refers to a Japanese practice where people explore frightening or potentially dangerous places in the effort of building up their courage. Here in America, we have the same phenomena. Haunted houses, spooky woods, creepy hollows all serve this purpose and not so abandoned structures whose ethereal inhabitants provoke fright to this day. As a team of podcast hosts and listeners, I believe we are engaging in a collective kimodamashi as we explore our weird realm and uncover a treasure that was within us the whole time. Here to report on his kimodamashi through Wisconsin lore is Jeff Finnup, the man behind Badgerland Legends, who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Jeff Finnup. No matter where you are, someone within 200 miles of your home has had a direct confrontation with a frightening apparition or inexplicable monster within the last generation. So what's a legend trip? It's practice that involves a pilgrimage, usually covert, to a site that has a reputation for being haunted, supernaturally inclined, or associated with a tragedy. Now, I thought that legend trips were just what American teenagers did. But doing the research on this, I found that Japan has a similar practice, and it's called a kimo demeshi. Now, kimodameshi is a, tr- a Japanese tradition that um, involves a group activity 
where adolescents take a journey to a cemetery, haunted house, or forest. Now, where the Americans usually it's to one of these places just to get like a thrill or a fright night. But the Japanese are more intentional with theirs. Now, some of the places or sites that are um, involved in these legend trips are marginal or liminal places. A lot of times they're associated with legends and lore. Um, a lot of times they contain a landmark or object that's said to hold a curse, which is captivating in itself, or associated with a tragedy. Now, why do we legend trip? Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and with me is a returning guest, although he did not join us here on his first appearance with me. He joined me on Esoteric America, a podcast that you may have seen in this RSS feed recently, and we've been going strong for a few months now. He came in and smashed episode eight, told us all about Wisconsin, and I can't think of a better person than Jeff to tell us about this because he's the host, the co-host of a podcast called the Badger or the Wisconsin Legends podcast. His Instagram is called Badger Lane Legends. And this is sort of like, forgive me if I forgot, but this is also the name of like a YouTube Instagram where you're going to be putting some content. Is it just Instagram or do you have, uh, you know, plans to make Badger Lane Land Legends uh, like a podcast or a YouTube show? Yeah, so right now, uh, Badger Lane Legends is, it started as Instagram. I've since expanded it to Facebook and I also have badgerlandlegends.com where I po- uh, post more long form content. And on top of that, um, me and my podcast partner do the Wisconsin, the legends podcast. Right on. So that's kind of the, the three right legs on. of the stool there. Thank you. Yes. And I, uh, forgive me for mixing that up a little bit. I wasn't no problem. quite sure, uh, but I knew there was a podcast in there somewhere. And this is more of a blog investigation, sort of highlighting some of the mysterious things. And it's not just uh, paranormal cryptid stuff. I mean, you guys have gone into sort of true crime territory as well. Uh, the Dahmer case is extremely popular nowadays. Yeah. Netflix the, really gave that a bump. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, well, I'm sure. Gein, uh, one of the most mystic places in Wisconsin, Devil's Lake, mm. the aptly named Devil's Lake. Wow. Um, so we're going to be yeah. talking about this today because I, I feel like, you know, it's in the consciousness. You know, we planned on doing an episode way before Netflix released that show. Yeah. And it's funny how, like, you know, uh, the, the general concept uh, of the paranormal, I feel like at first or used to be a little more one note, right? It was about the people and the experiences and what they're experiencing. But I think now we're sorting, we're seeing the evolution of the paranormal research and it's including things like conspiracy theories. It's including things like psychic geography and maybe even ancient cultural magic, you know, occult magic from different various cultures that have been in that specific place where you're experiencing a ghost phenomenon or a cryptid phenomenon. I, I think you and you're, you, you're an example of somebody who's on the forefront of this because, you know, you're integrating synchro mysticism into this research. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and that's really want to talk about you or what I want to talk with you about tonight is, 
kind of how can we access, you know, the weirder stuff, mm. the more esoteric stuff. And, and, you know, you start at the top of the show talking about esoteric America and kind of giving me that assignment to go out and maybe not look for it, but maybe curate more of, you know, where the city around me, the place and kind of become familiarized because, you know, me and Mark were a thousand miles away talking over a, uh, a Skype connection. Um, and it's easy to get lost in the virtual, mm. but one thing I advocate for is actually getting out into the actual place. So separating that virtual well, from the physical world. And I got to thank you for that because, you know, that is the intention of esoteric America. And you, you did a very good job of, of helping us understand not just Wisconsin, but the specific part of Wisconsin. We focused on Madison, and I was really blown away to see how uh, watery that particular yeah. you know place is. Because in my mind, you know, I think Wisconsin, I think Midwest, I think pasture land, right? That's kind yep. of the the trope we get. But it's right on the Great Lakes, and Madison itself is like smack dab in the middle of two bodies of water. It's like a, a peninsula mm-hmm. type. Uh, yep, it's an isthmus, and it's the only capital mm. on an isthmus in the world. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's even, I don't think we covered that, or at least we didn't mention that fact, a fun fact there, but wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah, the isthmus is, you know, it came up in another conversation that I had with um, Topher recently, where he discussed how Panama, being an isthmus, has this sort of huge you know energy convergence going on you have all the the water of the pacific and all the water of the Mm -hmm. atlantic and the gulf of mexico on either sides of this small little strip of land that is uh coast is it costa rica and panama i always get confused if if one of those is an island i'm pretty sure both of those are the panama panama right panama Mm -hmm. is what i'm thinking of anyways not to get too carried away with uh central american geography there's something about it. Like we notice these, these particular features, whether it's an isthmus, whether it's uh, a, a city on top of a, a mound, you know, there are these things that seem to rhyme. There's patterns. And once you start to identify, okay, Madison's built like this, you know, you can see where they all fit into a larger picture. So we're going to be kind of covering a little bit of that here today, but we're not confined the way we are on esoteric America to just one place. So yeah. let, let's get into it, man. Where do you yeah, want to start? Absolutely. Yeah. So what really started it for me was this quote. So this is kind of an obscure quote from an obscure book. And I got the book right in front of me. Mm. It's called Wisconsin lore. Mm. Um, my mom brought this book home. Um, I was probably eight and inside the cover or in the, in one of the first chapters, it says Wisconsin contains, if the yarns are any indication, more ghosts per square mile than any state in the nation. So growing up in a small town in Wisconsin, you know, you're really not exposed to anything outside of, you know, your, your home, your neighborhood, your town. And then to, stumble upon a quote like this, it kind of opens up the world and, and you kind of think, wow, there's more to this place than what it's letting on. So ever since reading that, you know, I was kind of captivated and I was, I, I think I've always been inclined towards 
kind of the weird stuff. I was that kid talking about ghosts on the playground. I'd be the fly on the wall at the dinner parties whenever the uh, conversations switched to, you know, ghosts or the afterlife and was kind of captivated by it. And then I was uh, checking out the spooky or um, I guess it'd be like cryptid books from the uh, Catholic school library and kind of reading more into it and kind of a, a self-guided exploration into this stuff, you know, ever since a, a young age. And, you know, once it kind of gripped me, um, I ventured off and then I kind of found myself back into this stuff about two years ago, about a few months before the pandemic really kicked off. Now, Help us understand this phrase a little bit. If the yarns are an indication, is that a reference to like some sort of uh, superstitious practice, like people tying that would be, yarns uh, together? So the title of the book is Wisconsin Lore. Right. So yarn would be a an oral telling of a story. Ah, okay. Yeah. Spinning so the, the yarn. The verb oh, would be I've heard yarning that. or... A yarn would be a story or oh, yeah. a spin, spinning a yarn is oh, kind yeah. of a colloquial term for telling a story. I've heard that. Okay, yeah. cool. So yes, this this makes a lot more sense. Now, for a second, I got carried away with like looms and weaving and all that. So okay. well, you're, weaving, you're weaving a story. <laughs> right, you're you're right. painting a tapestry with your words. Spinning, you know, maybe, maybe you told stories around the loom back in the day. Absolutely. But, but uh, yeah, it was a, a thing that really captivated me and thought there's something weird about Wisconsin. And mm. well, oh boy, and is there. It's interesting because, you know, where I'm from, we have a lot of hype about our ghost scene. But if I remember correctly, you probably have equal, if not more, haunted houses and haunted locations in Wisconsin and than we do here in the whole of New England. So, uh yeah, very haunted. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, New England as a landmass, you know, the six states are probably a front runner for ghost lores and tales just because of the the history there. Right. Because you, in the historic buildings. And there's still a lot of old buildings here, but our old buildings are probably, you know, up to 150 years old. But where you go out into New England... I mean, those could be from the 1600s, right? Not many of those are still standing. Pro- probably not. not but, but some at least things are from and, that long ago. Yeah, yeah for sure. Landmarks I've... and folklore and, you know, Plymouth Rock. And uh, what is the one tower out there? Uh, the Newport uh, Tower. The Newport Tower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of lore and, and stuff like that. And um, surprisingly, looking back, Wisconsin was discovered probably in the 1650s by French explorers. So there's still a, a rich history here right. with the French and the Jesuits were kind of their travel partners because they would kind of come along and um, kind of spread their gospel. Mm. And um, through your conversation with um, Mr. Exertus, mm. um, he kind of revealed, you know, kind of the Jesuits um, kind of infiltrating these cultures and finding out their rituals and kind of um, covertly discovering the practices and documenting them. Mm. And I, I've, I found that kind of an interesting thread to pull on that. I definitely need to explore more, mm. but because um, you know, being from Wisconsin, you know, you think um, yeah, French, French uh, discovered it. 
uh, a lot of the Catholic uh, Jesuits came over here and you know started their monasteries and their churches. But I, I never really thought more about that until um, he mentioned that. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I have a genealogical connection to French Canada, so it's definitely something that uh, feels like I'm meant to know more about, you know, in a certain yeah. sense. But that is that is a point that we needed to make, you know. that We get a lot of uh, attention on the East Coast for how old it is here, but I mean, the whole land is the same age, technically, and people have been walking all over this North American continent for thousands mm. and thousands of years, not just indigenous groups, but Europeans, you know. We have all kinds of stories of uh, maybe even like Romans going into the Great Lakes and taking out all that missing copper, uh, yeah. or, or even like Phoenicians, who, who knows who else. So yeah, this place is very old. The French have been uh, there since, yeah, about as long as the French have been in, in the New World. They went, mm -hmm. they went pretty far, pretty fast. Yeah. So that, that's really my entrance into this. So mm. I kind of wanted to look in deeper, um, into the weird and finding more and accessing it and see how we could kind of integrate that into our life to kind of enhance it. And then, you know, you got to start with why and why should you even look for this stuff? And I think for me, accessing the weird reminds us that life isn't mundane. It reminds us there's, there is a purpose and not everything is as it seems. I think it also helps us gain a sense of identity uh, belonging to where we are, you know, that place. And I think it brings us in relationship with our surroundings. Um, and then one little phrase that I picked up from the Penny Royal season one was, is it the people that define a place or does place define a people? And I've kind of um, rolled that one over back and forth in my mind. And I, I think it's, you know, a chicken or the egg thing. And I think it's more of a thought experiment than anything else. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I've been fascinated, obviously, by this stuff. I mean, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that this is a topic that I'm very interested in, right? And uh, mm -hmm. we share this interest. It's become a big, I think, point to to make ever since people started talking about tartaria it's like for me it was like okay here's an here's like a theory for what may have happened that we don't know about but like let's just go and look and see what's there because my suspicion was maybe there's something that's more closer to that's closer to home that's been right under our nose the whole time like it's it's not it doesn't need uh, some Russian faraway explanation. You know, there's, there's something here uh, that we could find that maybe has been, um, you know, mislabeled, misidentified. Right. And as soon as I had that suspicion, I was immediately gratified by th like hundreds of things like, Oh, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about this. Oh, I've seen these my whole life. I didn't know what they were. Like, as soon as you start looking around you find that the things that maybe you took for granted are so much mm -hmm. weirder, right? Like one yeah. example that seems like so mundane, like people literally trip over them, is the, the stone walls. You know, they're just like all over the place here in New England. 
And most people would, like I said, just trip right over them, not notice them, maybe think that somebody built them in the last 400 years. But no, they're so old, it's, it, it boggles the mind. Yeah, everybody thinks, oh, it's just a farmer's root cellar. Right. And then, you know, when they, they dig into it and they find the astrological alignments. And mm. it's like, well, if it was really a root cellar, would somebody have gone to line this up with the winter solstice? Mm. I mean, that seems absurd that, you know, uh, a farmer would be that observant to do something like that with some, something so utilitarian mm. as a root cellar. So, yeah, and I think, you know, this stuff is is worth exploring. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and in kind of um, one of the theses I came up with recently, and there was a an old Joe Rogan video I stumbled upon, and this was probably about six or seven years ago before he was, you know, kind of the dynamo that he is today, and he was talking about boxes. So I came up with this kind of inspired by that conversation, and it goes: We live in a box. We hop into our gas-powered box. We drive to our climate-controlled box to work. When we're done with work, we may stop at our favorite sports box or big box store. At home, we'll either spend time staring into a box we keep in our pocket or a 60-inch box that we hang on our wall. Only retire, only to retire to our mattress, mattress and box spring and eventually end up in a pine wood box. So I think we live in a cyclical round enchanted realm and these structural straight lines that we use for these boxes are imposed upon us. So I think we need to break out of these boxes and it's easy to forget that we live in this enchanted realm. So that's kind of my TED talk. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have to remind myself all the time that, you know, this podcast is enchanting because sometimes it's like, oh, well, I'm staring in a box. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, but no, it is. It's 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 absolutely deceptive. You know, I, I didn't really put it together like that, but it kind of reminds me of Saturn cube now mm. that you have this cube photo up. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was kind of my mission was to like, okay, how do we kind of break out of these boxes, kind of access the weird in our world? Now I was captivated by another quote, and this is from John Keel. He is what you would call a 14 author. You might know him best from the Mothman prophecies. And he, he says in his book, the complete guide to mysterious beings, which is a great name for a book, no matter where you are, some with someone within 200 miles of your home, has had a direct confrontation with a frightening apparition or inexplicable monster within the last generation. And I found, I found that captivating because I think um, it's through these stories that we access this weirdness. And I think uh, um, it's part of the human experience to look beyond what we see. So I thought that was uh, kind of a captivating quotation and where should we start when looking for this stuff i think you should start where you are i know i was inspired by your kind of um psychogeographical journey through your hometown of new haven i did a similar thing with madison when i was doing the esoteric america and one thing i wanted to do was when i moved to a new city called wanakee wisconsin 
it's a northern suburb of Madison. So where you have the isthmus of the capital of Madison, you have a lake to the north and a lake to the south. Wanakee is directly north of the uh, the top lake, the northern lake. And when I moved to the, the city, I got onto one of those local um, Facebook pages where people, um, they pretty much bitch about politics or somebody not cleaning up their, their dog shit off the sidewalk or whatever. And I had just moved in and I wanted to do some more research into this. I'd been about uh, a year into doing the Badgerland Legends thing. And I thought, okay, I got to be able to scrape off a couple um, good stories from this new place that I lived. So I threw this out to the Facebook group and I said, we recently moved to the area. Whenever I moved someplace new, I'd like to do a little research on the history. And since uh, fall will be here soon, I thought it might be fun to dive into some legends lore uh, around the greater Wanakee area. Any haunted bars, restaurants, buried treasure tales, UFO sightings, or obscure history. And this little thread got like 71 positive comments where most people are fighting about politics. Everybody was engaged on this. So I was like, okay, I struck gold here. So within that exploration, I found um, a UFO sighting that was historic. I found the place where Ed Gein spent his final days. Um, I found the largest Thunderbird effigy mound in the world, a tuberculosis sanitarium, a haunted woods that's right behind it, a legend of a midnight rider, um, and here is a, a little screenshot here for those that are joining us via YouTube of uh, the news article uh, that came out in 1986 of a police, uh, two police um, officers that reported um, or responded to a report of a UFO sighting. And it turns out it was literally like two blocks from where I live now. So had I been there at the time, I would have saw it. Wow. And then I found another story about a, uh, a haunted house that's been historically haunted um, right in my town. So I thought, okay, um, this is cool in Wanakee. And I know just outside of my little Wanakee map here, I found a, lake monster legend in each of Madison's four lakes. I found a story about witches on a popular uh, little peninsula that juts out into Lake Mendota called the witches of picnic point. Um, UW Madison is chock full of ghost stories. I found haunted theaters, bars, restaurants, um, the largest Indian mound complex in the world right here in Madison. I, I think you've pulled, you know, a hundred Madison residents, maybe five or six would be able to tell you that. So it's not well known here. A, a lost city in the UW's Arboretum, um, pretty much a housing development that went up, but uh, it was taken by the swamp. So they didn't do very good planning, and they planned to do this awesome new subdivision in the 1920s, but it ended up getting uh, sunk in the muck, literally. Like a whole built building or like just the, stri the structure? Like, like a, a neighborhood with foundations. I have yet to explore it. I'm planning on doing that wow. um, before the snow flies here. And now that uh, all the foliage is coming down and actually now, going to find it. Are they completely sunken or are they half sunken? Like what? So what happened was is it's very marshy on one edge of the city. You know, you talked about the water. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of springs and they had planned to do this housing development 
but they did not plan the drainage canals properly. So when they started building the houses, putting in the foundations, the uh, the foundations started to shift. Mm. And before they could really get anything established, mm. it was taken back by nature. Gotcha. So, okay. So we're not talking about like, you know, you're going to walk in there and there's going to be a rooftop on ground level because the whole house no, is sunk into a swamp. Okay. No, I see it what was, you're saying. It was pretty well um, established, but it's still cool to um, go find the ruins. Well, there are, I mean, I'm almost certain there are places like that where the swamp absorbs a whole house and you like walk by it and it's like, you know, what used to be the second floor is underground and you could see the roof, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just imagining things. I, I'm pretty sure that swamps can eat whole houses like that, like in Florida and whatnot with those sinkholes, right? With the sinkholes in the, uh, you know, when you grew up in the 80s, your biggest threat was um, either Sasquatch or quicksand. That's how you were going to die. It's kind yeah. of the trope on every 80s TV show. I used to think when I was a kid, if I wasn't careful, we might come across quicksand in the woods. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, who knows? <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, so you're probably thinking, well, Jeff, Madison's weird, but can you really expect me to find this weird stuff in my hometown? So I took my hometown and I grew up about 90 minutes north of Madison, mm. um, a small kind of, uh, it was a, a, uh, a paper manufacturing town. A lot of the towns in Wisconsin on the rivers had um, paper plants and that's what we were known for. And it was a small town, kind of an idyllic Wisconsin town, only 18,000 people, low crime. And I thought, well, if this is true, I should be able to find more stuff from my hometown. And after just a little digging, I found a haunted mansion. That's now a bed and breakfast, a haunted schoolhouse, a big cat flap from the 1950s where people were spotting lions roaming about the countryside of central Wisconsin. People thought, Oh, it must've been a circus wagon that derailed. Um, other people thought it escaped from the zoo. But as soon as those came out, they quickly vanished. So it's hard to know what that was, but it captured the attention of the newspaper in town. And you can still read the reports. Um, I found a murder brothel with uh, a tie or speculation to Ed Gein. Um, an infamous um, place they called Boy Scout Lane. And then uh, another haunted tavern that was once a brothel as well as a historic, um, it's called the Cottage Cafe, that was uh, written about in several kind of haunted Wisconsin books mm. right in my hometown. So I was like, okay, what's the weird infamous, is all around you. What's I don't mean to pause. What's And yes, absolutely. Uh, what's infamous about Boy Scout Lane? Is that like... Boy Scout the, Lane. So the legend of Boy Scout Lane varies by who's telling it. Uh, but apparently... A group of Boy Scouts went to Boy Scout Lane to camp out. And in some tellings of the legend, they disappeared with no trace. Others say they were either murdered by their scoutmaster or the bus driver. Now, I think it's a flight of fancy because I haven't been able to find any historical account. And if a bunch of Boy Scouts got slaughtered, it definitely would make the papers. Mm -hmm. But um, 
it's supposed to be a place of anomalous activity. People go out there and they see um, the will of the wisp phenomenon, like uh, flashlights or lanterns coming through there. So I almost wonder if people had gone to that Boy Scout lane and saw the name and then had the encounters with that will the wisp phenomenon and grafted on the tail. Right. I haven't quite been able to dig to the bottom of that, but I found it compelling that it's whenever you see those listicles come out where it's like top eight haunted places in Wisconsin, Boy Scout lane is always listed in there. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. The point you're making, like, you know, people think, Oh, well, I don't live in Wisconsin. So what does this matter to me? But to your point, I mean, you took two random places that are really significant solely to you, maybe not mm-hmm. the ordinary average person who's not from uh, Wisconsin or even someone who's from Wisconsin. I mean, you took two places and said, okay, let me find it, you know, and you did. One yeah. one thing that came to mind, and I'm not sure if you're going to cover this later on, is the beast of Bray Road. You mentioned that there were a bunch of uh, big cat sightings in at some point in time in Wisconsin. And this, for whatever reason, has always stuck with me. I learned about the Beast of Bray Road. And some have explained it as a werewolf, but other people have described it as a large cat, like a large black panther. So um, it's interesting that you have these like large canine and large feline sightings in a place that has very cold winters Mm -hmm. uh we're not typically known to have those types of creatures in these biomes so yeah wow yeah and the the beast of bray road phenomenon is in so i grew up in the central part of the state and that phenomenon is in the southeastern part of the state yeah and it goes through a region called the kettle moraine and it's kind of on a, almost like a fault line. It's uh, the two lobes of uh, glaciation. I believe the Great Lakes and the Green Bay lobe. So it's kind of in a liminal place. And the sightings of the Beast of Bray Road go back to the 30s. And they start at a Catholic convent where a night watchman stumbled upon this beast on top of a Indian burial mound. And he had stumbled across it. And as soon as he saw it, it kind of scampered off. And he thought that was odd. So he went back that following night at the same time with nothing but his trusty flashlight. And when he got to that mound, he saw that creature and he described it as um, like a wolf-like creature and it was pawing at the top of the Indian mount. And he locked eyes with it, and he thought he was in for good. And he was a Catholic man, and he was at a Catholic convent. And he said a prayer to the Lord in his head, and the creature tucked tail and walked away. So he feels like there was some providence there that uh, by praying it it warded it off and being on top of an Indian mound raking, you know, uh, they make makes kind of ties to the Anubis type creatures or even like the hellhounds or devil dogs or some kind of um, protector of either burial grounds or 
you know, like an ethereal hell. So from the, from that get go, it was kind of launched into this kind of um, Christian worldview. And then in the late eighties and 1990s around Bray road in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, just a tiny little farming community, um, kind of an idyllic little hometown. Um, people started seeing this wolf-like creature roaming the countryside, but it said instead of the rear legs moving forward, they were actually backwards. Or actually, I got that backwards. Instead of going backwards like a canine, they were going forward like a human. And it said it could walk on two upright legs. So Linda Godfrey, who is a uh, an author, she started writing about this and it it caught fire. And ever since then, people have been seeing the Wisconsin Dogman. Now, I got to visit um, Bowers Road, which is an intersecting road of Bray Road. And this is uh, a guy named Lee Hample. He owns the barn and the field behind it where the Bray Road Beast has been sighted most of the time. And he has, you know, most people thought, okay, well, this is some kind of unidentified animal. The stuff that he's captured on trail cams is defies explanation. Everything from UFO phenomenon to strange mists, orbs, um, mysterious um, glowing eyes. Um, it's quite the paranormal soup what's going on right there on Bray Road. Mm. So it's something that's still being explored and seen today. Something he's documented through putting out um, roadkill in his field in front of trail cams and um, the cameras malfunctioning and the roadkill going missing. Just it, it kind of blows your mind and there's something definitely weird going on there. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the big things that you hear is like, well, you know, why don't we catch these things on trail cams? But I think we do. I think what, what we do realize is that these beings are so aware that they're not just going to go and blindside themselves on the trail cam. They're so aware of it that maybe we can catch a glimpse of their eye shine. But for the most part, whatever they're in touch with has the ability to cancel that device out, whether it's something that's going on psychically, electronically, maybe it's just, you know, maybe there is a material explanation for it that some skeptic might propose. But I would say you know, the simple explanation is these beings, you know, they know when a camera's out there and they're, you know, maybe they're taking it as a risk or reward situation where they're like, well, I could possibly get more attention on myself by going after this easy kill here so i'm gonna have to do something to this camera somehow you know like they're yeah. they, they're smart enough to know don't get seen don't get sighted don't or maybe it, it goes and defies that where it's a consciousness thing that for whatever reason as human beings our vibration doesn't allow us to witness that type of entity it's existing in a a higher dimension simultaneously and maybe has the ability to go back and forth when it needs to. Yeah. And, and just the, the paradox is on its face where it's like, okay, well, if it is a, you know, the spiritual non-corporeal being, why does it go after roadkill? Right. Yeah. And he's got like mutilated carcasses. He's got like um, 150 pound deer that are like bent in weird ways and, 
dragged without any evidence. And um, he's got pictures of these footprints going halfway into a field on a snowy field and then just disappearing. So it's like, well, did it get abducted by a spaceship? Like what's going on here? And then he has one picture that shows some kind of wolf like being um, inside of like an orb. So it's just like, what is going on here? Nothing, you know, it's, it defies explanation. So it's something that I kind of laughed off when I first heard it, but then actually going to his farm and seeing his evidence, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm, I'm going, you know, full on Wisconsin werewolf, but there's something strange going on here that deserves Mm. more study. And I didn't have any um, encounters myself on, on the land. I only spent, you know, a few hours walking around back there and kind of trying to take it in, but um, definitely an anomalous place and definitely want to go back. Well, and do you think that there's a part of intention that negates somebody who's already aware of what's going on there from experiencing it? Like, cause it seems like a lot of the experiencers are people who have never learned about these types of things. For the most part, people who are writing books and whatnot, they're going to other people to find out what's going on because they themselves haven't. I mean, there are some exceptions to that for sure, but uh, you know, do you yourself find that like because you haven't experienced anything, uh, it could be because like you're already seeking this type of thing? So are you saying that because I'm looking for it, it's elusive? Mm-hmm. That that could be one, and I, okay, I might be taking an overstep in saying that you haven't experienced anything because you said you you only no, I, haven't I, I haven't in that specific phenomenon, and right. and I notice um, I have a local author who who uh, he likes to go to these different places and do like supernatural dares, mm. and he he wrote a book about it, Supernatural Dares of the Midwest by Chad Lewis. Check it out; it's mm. it's pretty cool but he goes to these places and he does like short little YouTube videos and talks about the folklore of the place and the dare. And then he does the dare, but he, you know, in like 30 plus years of doing this, he's had almost no encounters. So I find it uh, interesting how fleeting this stuff can be and almost elusive. Right. Right. Like almost like because he's expecting something, he gets nothing, right? Whereas somebody who's yeah. just going about their normal daily business, maybe they heard a legend or something when they're a kid, but it's not on the forefront of their mind. They mm-hmm. go down the road and the, this thing scares the crap out of them. And, you know, half of them wants to never say anything about it because it's so out there that they're you know and i think that's a part of it where these beings are like well they're too scared they're never going to say anything about it but when a researcher comes along it's almost like a intellectual bravery right you're like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're like challenging this creature in a way and they they're they're more likely to just be like all right i'm gonna be i'm gonna avoid this entity at all costs because they have some sort of maybe uh, level up as opposed to the average unaware person who's just, like I said, floating through, going about their daily business focused on, you know, uh, earthly things. Yeah. And, you know, talking and listening to people that have experienced, you know, bizarre things, 14 phenomenon. Um, most of the time it's like you said, they're not looking for it. And when it happens to them, it doesn't scare them. It 
leaves them with like a sense of like puzzlement or wonder, mm. like, what did I just witness? Did I really see that? Can I believe my eyes? And, you know, if they're not with somebody else, they might just discount it entirely. Mm. Right. And I know that when strange things have happened to me, it's usually when I least expect them as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely elusive. I think he really nailed it with that word. So you looked into Wisconsin Rapids you found that it's pretty all over the place, you know, hidden in plain sight, so to speak. Um, what did you find next? Where are we going next with this presentation? So I just wanted to give people some resources or tools if they wanted to, you know, either experience this stuff for themselves or, you know, look, dig, dig deeper into theirs. Maybe they're looking to prepare a presentation for Esoteric America or, they just want to catalog the stuff around them. So obviously I know you're a huge um, collector of books. If you can see behind me on my camera, I have a whole bookshelf full of Wisconsin related books. And um, I, I've just started collecting these probably about 20 years ago and then just started writing on these about three years ago. So um, I pick up anything that's out of out of the ordinary related to Wisconsin, anything Wisconsin historical, um, and then just kind of file them for another day. And then I actually found um, a good friend of mine, Frank Anderson, um, put together a visual representation of the myths, monsters, and legends of Wisconsin. And I have this poster hanging on my wall right now, and I go to it often. And he wanted to show all of this folklore in a visual um, frame. So he, he uh, kind of drew up this map and he sells it on a Setsy store. So anybody uh, that's a fan of Wisconsin, definitely go out and, uh, and support a local artist on that. Yeah. Very cool. That's Frank uh, Anderson. Is that what Frank, it is? Frank Anderson. Yeah. Right on. Very cool. Yeah. This is, this is stellar. This is kind of like what I look for when I'm, putting together the artwork for the esoteric America show, like yep. that kind of nostalgic map style, you know, where it kind of shows you what's going on in the state visually. So, wow. I mean, this, this is chock full and I'm seeing like a, a few characters repeating. So obviously we got some Sasquatch sightings up in the North. Who's this uh gold, character with what looks like antlers have we talked about this, this? one right here yeah yeah that is a good question let me let me look at the actual map here mark yeah go for it is it as jeff's looking at this the the character is featured all across the uh so so, it, southwest it, portion of the the state here he's all along the southwest i know you couldn't hear me there jeff I was yeah just it looks like a, a humanoid figure but it's actually a depiction of petroglyphs or rock art. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so these are all places where there are, are petroglyph arts. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. And there's some Sasquatch sightings sort of near one of them, but who's this tall red gentleman? Is that the effigy mound you showed us? Uh, in this, this guy right here yeah. is the manned mound. So if you want right. more information about that, Esoteric America. Um, it is the only anthropomorphic um, effigy mound left in North America. And I haven't found anything else listed in the world, but um, uh, uh, according to official official record, it's the only 
effigy mound depicting a man left in the world. And I believe when um, Europeans first settled Wisconsin, there was up to five of these. Wow. And unfortunately, most of them were either lost to time or plowed under. Do we but, have any idea of uh, possible locations for those other five or other four? There were there were four others, and I off the top of my head, I I don't know just because. And what river know, is what river is this going right alongside of it to the? East? That is the Wisconsin River. Right on. Okay. Yep. Cool. So when I showed Wisconsin Rapids, um, Wisconsin Rapids, much like. Madison being split by the two lakes, mm-hmm. Wisconsin Rapids is split by the Wisconsin River. Mm. Okay. And then um, to the west there, bordering the state, that is the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, a lot of other channels and estuaries throughout the, uh, the state of Wisconsin. And those were very useful in early pioneering times for the, limber, the, the timber trade. So lumberjack. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is a a great map. I definitely would love to see, uh, you know, a better, higher quality image so we could read all the little things. But, yeah, very cool, man. That's an awesome thing to have on your wall. Great great thing for anyone in um, Wisconsin to buy. Yeah. Um, And I think by kind of laying this psychogeographic landscape onto a map, it helps you connect with your place better as well. So that's one thing I recommend people do. And then um, one other thing I'm captivated by are historical markers. And whenever I see, and I'm not sure how it is in New England, but in Wisconsin, whenever there's a historical marker along a highway, there will be a little green sign about a mile away. And it'll say historical marker ahead. So I'll be driving in the car and I'll see the historical marker ahead and I'll either have to pull in to the little parking lot and take a picture or crane my neck around to see what it's about. And I think um, these are, are great because they, a lot of times they contain some information um, about a place that's been lost to time. Mm. And I think that they're, they're a great source of this and it's well as well as um, a, a great placeholder to remember. So when COVID first hit, couldn't really go anywhere, couldn't really do anything. Everything was closed down. All of our state parks, all of our county parks were closed down. So finding ourselves bored, me and my family, we decided to hop in the car and explore a lot of these back roads of Wisconsin. And I stumbled upon this sign for Haney's Tavern and I had probably driven past it about 50 or 60 times and never stopped to actually look at it. And I did a little more research on it. And it turns out, um, as the legend goes on the sign, that um, this guy by the name of Barry Haney, he shot one of his workmen. His name was Joe Pelkey. He felt remorse for what he did, so he gave him a place to stay in his tavern and nursed him back to health. Well, there's a darker version of that legend and i haven't been able to corroborate one way or another the darker version is that haney shot him buried him beneath the floors of the tavern and pelkey's spirit is still in haney's tavern well since then so the the actual haney's tavern still stands today but it's a private residence 
And now with when COVID first kicked off and I found this, I couldn't exactly go knock on the guy's door and be like, Hey, did you know you're, you're sitting on the oldest um, building in all of Wisconsin. So it's something I kind of want to do, but I I don't really want to, to bug the guy. Oh man. Well, I mean, maybe he already knows, but yeah, sure. Wow. You should go over there and at least leave a letter and say, Hey, (laughs) I'm interested in talking to you yeah. about your, your property. Yeah. And I used to, uh, to live not too far from it. So, uh, I might have to, uh, you know, leave one of my cards in his mailbox and see if I can, uh, get him to, uh, respond to me. Mm. Yeah, please do. Yep. So other, you know, kind of the run of the mill places to find this stuff, obviously Facebook, Instagram, I shared that, um, post that I put into that group and got the responses. Um, Atlas Obscura is a great uh, compilation of all of this weird stuff in one place. And you can do it by zip code or city. And I found stuff that I didn't even know about in Atlas Obscura. Now, Mark, have you heard of Liminal Earth? Liminal no, I just, dot Earth? I just wrote it down. Does it sound? It sounds cool. Yeah. So it's um, it's kind of in, in beta still. And it's an open source place for people to document their weird sightings. So they can say, you know, anonymously they could say oh i was i was walking in this trail and i had this encounter with you know a a a being or i saw a ghost while i was doing this or Hmm. i was here and we're looking at the stars and i saw a ufo so um through that you know maybe people can recognize patterns so i find that helpful um obviously reddit is kind of a cesspool these days only in your state a lot of um kind of listicles or kind of fluff articles about stuff, but it'll at least give you a place to start. Um, Wisconsin, and I'm sure New England, and probably anywhere else in the country has um, great regional sites like wisconsinhauntedhouse.com or Wisconsin Frights or wisconsinlegends.com. Even just Google haunted places near me, and you'll be surprised what you find. And uh, I'm able to find a lot of these places, kind of dig into it, corroborate them via you know, old newspaper articles, um, other writings, or um, get connected with other people that do similar research into this stuff Mm. through a lot of this, you know, just internet sleuthing. Uh, The other thing I use is tours. Now, I know um, New England's probably got a lot of these historic um, tours. I know, Mark, if you tip him well enough, he'll take you on a tour of uh, New Haven. Um, Uncle Mike does the uh, Susquehanna tours. Um, a lot of these people will offer these these great tours and they will know so much. Even if it's just about the history, they might have one or two stories about legends or lore that they can like, kind of fill in. And then uh, my buddy Mike runs a ghost tour company called American Ghost Walks. And his, I guess the busiest part of his season kind of wrapped up around the Halloween area but uh um there's a lot of people collecting this stuff they're happy to share it and um it's really regional location based legend stuff that you can go and experience and look into deeper and then your local historical societies now when i think of a a historical society i think of like a a 70 year old woman retiree with nothing more to do so what what more could you do than to 
go there and talk to her about the history of the place. And then, you know, if you get comfortable enough, you can ask her about the legends, the lore, the ghost stories, um, treasure tales, anything like that. And a lot of times they're happy to look into this stuff for you. Sometimes they, they brush you off and they don't only want to talk about historical fact, but most of the time they're willing to entertain you. And a lot of these places, they receive funding from either hosting events at places or doing tours or they rely on donations. So if you can bring a attention to their causes in a respectful way, a lot of times they're open to, you know, either um, ghost lectures or ghost tours or ghost hunts within these historic places. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I love it. I think I've always been a little bit opposed to the last one, but I shouldn't be. There's no reason why. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just being re- rebellious and contrary, and you're like, oh, what are these old people going to tell me that I can't find in a book? But there's a lot of stuff that you would n- you're not going to find in books that someone may hide in their memory or hold in their memory. You know? Yeah, they might know a guy who knows a guy who yeah. had something weird happen. Yeah, well, and also, also, there's so much, there's so many resources that may not be publicly available that mm-hmm. someone in a, a position like that might have. So, yeah, I just, you know, in particular, uh, Tara and I were going to go visit uh, this American uh, Indian Institute, something like that. And uh, at first, I was thinking, oh, maybe they'll know all about these stone structures, but. Then when I looked on the website, I was a little disappointed to see nothing about the stone structure. So I don't want to go there and be contrarian, but I do want to go there and, and ask them about it. But I'd hate to to find myself in a position where they're like, oh, well, that's not historical fact. Because <laughs> I yeah. know myself, I, I'd want to argue and, and prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, legends, just the term itself, is kind of that, gray area between historical fact and folklore. Mm. And that's kind of where the magic is right between like, okay, we can't, we can't corroborate this with historical account, but we can kind of get clues into what actually happened. And I think that's where the fun is. Mm. Um, So one of the things that I've done and I don't recommend it to everybody, but um, I was up in uh, door County. It's Wisconsin's thumb. It's the little peninsula that juts off just north of Green Bay. And it's it's a beautiful place. They call it the uh, Wisconsin's Cape Cod. Um, it's a cherry-growing region. They do lots of wine, tourism. They have lighthouses. And I went to this place called the Canna Island Lighthouse. And I believe it's probably the first or second most visited lighthouse in Door County. And maybe in Wisconsin, too. But um, you either take like a wagon train across this little strait of um, Lake Michigan, you get to this little Island and there's this, uh, they have a visitor center that's modern, but then they have the historic um, lighthouse um, lighthouse structure, as well as where the, the light keeper lives. So I wanted to walk up into the lighthouse and you buy a ticket, you stand in line there you wait for uh, people to go up, come back down. And once it's your turn, you'll walk up there. So while we were waiting in line, I went to the guy standing there and asked him uh, if there was any ghost stories about the old lighthouse or the island. 
And he said, I, I've never seen anything. I, I don't know. I, I don't believe in that. So I, you know, I just dropped it and I moved on. So I, I get in the lighthouse, I walk up the hundred steps or so in the interior. I get to the top. I walk around the, the catwalk. I take a look at the uh, historic um, mirrored light up there. Um, it's like over a hundred years old and it's, it's the original um, light and mirror. And then there was one more docent at the top there. And I thought rather than just asking outright about a ghost story, I kind of embellished. And I said, you know, I've heard the old light keeper still likes to keep watch of his old light. Have you had any experience with him? And she kind of looked at me and then looked away and looked back at me. And she said, well, I have a friend who's into paranormal investigation and I brought her out here and we got some um, EVPs and some EMF spikes. And while walking through the house um, from there, if you're looking at the picture here from the main house to this little vestibule, she felt kind of a shock and she thought that was peculiar. She felt like something kind of went through her. So she did some more historical research to find out that the lighthouse keeper's wife died of a heart attack right there. So she thought, well, there's something here. So without embellishing or coming up with my own ghost story, I probably wouldn't have gathered this little ghost tale because it's easy to say, you know, is there any ghost here? Nope. Move along. But if you, if you're tantalizing enough, if you weave enough of a good story, you might uh, cash in on on a nice uh, personal account like that. So Great I wouldn't point. recognize maybe uh, falsifying something, but you know maybe coaxing it out of them with a little a little fun. Yeah, well maybe that explains why that guy was so skeptical. His coworkers bringing all kinds of ghost people around. Uh, he's probably like, yeah, oh, probably I'm sick want of the this. attention. I'm sick of this. <laughs> yeah. You found the person who does who does know. That's cool. Yeah, definitely good advice. And you definitely don't want to uh, uh, go on putting up a, a front, right? Like we don't want to go and, and, and uh, relay too much suspicion. So, yeah. Yeah. Embellish yeah. a little bit. I like Embellish that. a little bit. And then, you know, I kind of thought more towards, you know, the broader reason that we like these ghost stories. And I kind of came up with this. We like ghost lore because it helps us remember history. It's a way to bring history into the present. Ghosts anchor the past to the present, and they don't allow us to forget and just move on. So I think that is kind of the utility and the allure, at least to me, about ghost stories and ghost lore. Is, um, it's almost like the past calling us to the present saying, Hey, don't forget about me. There was somebody before you that lived on this earth and you, you never know in a hundred years, you might be a ghost. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So some of the, the methodologies um, that I, I really enjoy is a concept called psychogeography. And it's simply the effect that geography or place or a building has on your psychology and its focus is on architecture, history, and forgotten culture. And psychogeographers, um, they advocate 
that the act of becoming lost in your own town. And I kind of like that concept. Um, they talk about these drifts or romantic strolls through your city. They talk about re-enchanting marginalized places through urban exploration, study of ancient cultures and practices, and then researching your local lore. So the one thing they talk about are these drifts or these romantic strolls. And they talk about doing them in your own town. So I kind of thought about this concept when me and my daughter, she was about four at the time, we decided to take a walk through our neighborhood. And about halfway through our walk, she started complaining about, you know, being tired and her leg hurting. And um, right where we stopped, stopped, I looked up and I saw this beautiful old, it was probably a hundred year old weeping willow tree. And ever since I was a young boy, I've always liked kind of the moody um, look of a weeping willow, just kind of the the droopy branches. And um, I've always wanted to have one in my yard. And then when we stopped, I looked up and I told her that story about how I like that, how I like that tree. And I've always wanted one. And, you know, I don't have one in my yard, but hey, here's one right in my neighborhood and I can enjoy it on my walks with my daughter. And then we uh, looked down and we found a maple leaf. And I said, oh, hey, Isla, do you know what leaf this is? This is a maple leaf. And what do you use uh, maple trees for? And she didn't know. And I said, well, the syrup that you put on your pancakes is maple syrup. And then she got excited about that. And then we kept walking. And then she found another leaf and it was an ash tree. And I said, well, ash trees are great. Do you know what they're used for? I said, people use them um, to build baseball bats and you know, maple and ash trees are the most common um, woods that they use in baseball bats. So you have a maple tree and you have an ash tree. And, you know, we talked about um, an acorn and how an acorn when planted will um, grow into a big oak tree. And it starts with this. And we, we kind of talked about the magic that happens with this little tiny acorn and how it grows into this big tree. And then we saw the little whirly birds from the maple trees. And I told her about that. And I said, this is how the trees kind of spread their seeds because the wind blows and these little whirly bird hop, uh, helicopters go flying through the air. And then birds or animals will pick them up, eat them. And then, you know, a, uh, a tree will be planted. And then she was kind of captivated by the world around her. She forgot that she was tired. She forgot that her legs were hurt. She was looking at her neighborhood as it was a completely different place, a more magical realm where things existed that she had never noticed. So I think um, it's easy to, you know, just see um, plywood houses and paved streets with, with curbs and gutters and, think nothing more than, oh, that's where those neighbors that we don't like live, or that's where the dog always runs out and barks at us and actually look at it as a magical place. So I think there's some utility in kind of reframing the world around you, learning more about it, and just looking at that nature has its utility. Yeah. And then, go ahead, Mark. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, well said. And then the other thing... um, about romantic strolls. So I used to work in an office 
we used to work in a cubicle in front of, you know, the, uh, the boxes, my thesis on boxes and, uh, just hated that job. And it was pain in the ass. I didn't like going. I drive out of my driveway in my truck. I take a right. I take another right. I take a left and I take a right into the parking lot. It was the most boring mundane commute to my terrible job. Well, one day it was a nice spring day and I saw my motorcycle parked there and I thought, well, I'm going to take my motorcycle instead. So instead of taking a right, I took a left and I took another left. I found a long winding road and I rode down there and I had a smile on my face, um, went through some twisties and then finally got to work. It probably took me twice as long as my normal commute. But by the time I got there, I had a huge grin on my face and a spring in my step because I had a great time on my commute and it changed my tone for the whole day. And it was just that one simple act of taking a left instead of taking a right, kind of reframing my worldview around my commute that really set the tone for my whole day. And then there's another thing that I was sent recently. Uh, It was called the scene. And then it is called the synchromistic exploration of the ever expanding now. And the author is on the line with me right now. Mark, would you like to tell us about the scene? No, you're, you're, you're explaining a lot of what we talk about in the scene. So yeah, it's, this is, the intention, and I, I'm really grateful that you've picked up on it. Um, that's one of the ways that you can get yourself into that dreaming consciousness is just by stepping out of your routine, and that's exactly what you just described. Two different styles, uh, and I like the the familial connection to you and your daughter. You know, like that's something as a young man without kids, I can't express uh, from my own experience, but I know many people who pick this scene up probably have kids themselves. A lot of the folks that listen to the show reach out to me, and I'm always surprised to find out many of them are young fathers or young mothers. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, I don't know. I mean, the scene speaks for itself, right? I mean, I've talked about it so much on this show that people should understand the concept. It mm-hmm. inspired my friend Juan to start the Occultist Monday uh, zine, uh, which is another kind of continuation of this. And yeah, I think this is one example of where uh, you can sort of take your own intention and crystallize it to do exactly what you described earlier in the show which is spur a bunch of research. You know, maybe it's not supernatural, paranormal, conspiracy-related. doesn't necessarily have to be that. Uh, but that's what we're talking about here, and that's mm-hmm. the most fun, in my opinion, is to go and look at the historical stuff and connect it to the weird. So, yeah. yeah absolutely. The, the scene is, the link will be in the description. It's in the description of every episode. So if you want a copy, uh, go check it out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, pick it up. I think it's useful. Uh, I have yet to follow the exact process that that Mark did, but um, I was happy to to receive it, look through it, and kind of reframe some of the the, the methods I use. So I wanted to definitely include it in there. Mm-hmm. And now, Mark, are you a rando not? 
Yeah, I've downloaded the app. I'm interested to see if this is like an update that they've done because when I used the app, when I first heard about it, nothing happened. I just, I mean, literally nothing happened. It's not that I followed the instructions and and went to a place and nothing happened. The app wouldn't work for me. It just wouldn't work. So I don't... I've never had a, like a positive experience with the Randonautica app. That's just my experience. I'm not trying to diss this company because they are, I don't know, they they used to be associated with someone that I had on the show before. So I know he worked with them for a little bit of uh, time and then they parted ways and now he's like kind of like <laughs> hesitant to talk about it, hence why I didn't even mention his name. Okay, So that to me personally is a red flag you know not that that it's a red flag for the app or that person it's just like doesn't seem like uh something that's congruent with my experience you know which is why i kind of wrote what the scene is all about like the scene mm-hmm. literally gives you the uh tools to do what randonautica does without your phone and you could use your phone in tandem for better purposes, at least in my opinion, with the scene process. So it's not that the two are like opposed to one another. You could probably even figure out a way to use scene and Randonautica in conjunction. But yeah, I don't, I, I just never trusted this idea that, uh, well, at first I did, but after the app didn't like work for me, I started to get suspicious and I'm like, you know, oh, is it because I'm not in a big city or something? Is that, you know, but I live close enough to two pretty big cities that you'd think there'd be something going on here. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I don't know what's going on with this app. Um, yeah, I would like to maybe get some feedback from the audience on this one. But, um, you know, I, I haven't used it since April. Hmm. And I had used it and got intrigued when it first came out. I think it came out. Um, early in 2020 and the time that I used it, um, I was actually led to a place in my neighborhood. I set the attention intention of, um, I want to see something legendary and I came across what I believe was an Indian mound. Now being in Madison, being the biggest mound complex in the world, it's nothing out of the ordinary, but to see, you know, this hill rise up in front of me, I thought, okay, that's, that's peculiar. But people that have used this app um, have claimed to find a friendly dog in the middle of the desert, a field of wildflowers where they weren't expecting. And uh, one lady even helped, um, it even helped her make a decision on what college to go to. So I'd be curious to see um, from your community if anybody has had success with the app. I know the last time I used it in April, um, it took me off onto uh, a couple dead end roads that were private property. So that's where my um, my journey ended because I wasn't about to trespass. So that's mine. I would I would say, hey, give it a try. If it works for you, use it. If not, throw it out. Um, I definitely advocate visiting sacred sites. Now, the two most uh, notable sacred sites near me are Astalon, which is just east of Madison. And then we talked about Man Mount, 
which is just north of Madison. Um, go to these sites, um, learn more about them, um, think about the people, think about their daily lives, what they've done, and try to experience um, what it was like in their life. And that's something that I try to do. And it kind of um, keeps me in tune with place. And um, my friend Amelia actually went to Manmount and had an interesting experience. She went in the middle of winter and she had driven her car there uh, with her now husband. I think he was a boyfriend at the time. And when they got out there to see it, uh, they heard some weird inhuman growling coming from some of the bushes around it. And they got spooked out and they got back into their car and then their car wouldn't start. And she started to lose it. And she ended up, um, flagging down somebody coming down the local road and he ended up, um, you know, stopping, talking to them, you know, she's like, Oh, my car won't start. And she was kind of frazzled. And then he's like, Oh, let me try it. And then of course it started up. So it was kind of one of those weird, um, encounters you hear about in a lot of paranormal where, where the car won't start. So, um, definitely some energy there. Um, go to these places, see if you can have an experiences. Um, at least in Wisconsin, a lot of these sites are on public property. So you can actually go and walk up the steps of this mound at Astalon or go experience man mount or go visit a number of effigy mounds within Madison, all on, you know, Madison parks or Dane County parks. Yeah. And then wow. legend trips. So what's a legend trip? It's a practice that involves a pil- pilgrimage, usually covert to a site that has a reputation for being haunted, supernaturally inclined or associated with a tragedy. Now I thought that legend trips were just what American teenagers did, but doing the research on this, I found that Japan has a similar practice and it's called a Kimo Dameshi. Now Kimo Dameshi is a, tr- a Japanese tradition called, uh, that, um, involves a group activity where adolescents take a journey to a cemetery, haunted house or forest. Now where the Americans usually it's to one of these places just to get like a thrill or a fright night, but the Japanese are more intentional with theirs. They want you to carry out a specific mission as a team to reinforce that as a team, individuals can overcome their fears. So it's um, definitely a rite of passage for a lot of these Japanese teenagers to go on these uh, chemo dimeshis. Now, some of the places or sites that are um, involved in these legend trips are marginal or liminal places. A lot of times they're associated with legends and lore. Um, a lot of times they contain a landmark or object that's said to hold a curse, which is captivating in itself or associated with a tragedy. Now, why do we legend trip? Now, the West is devoid of rites of passage, initiation, especially for young men. And I can only talk from the male perspective because it doesn't seem, it seems like adolescence has gotten stretched out so far that 
it can go from 12 to 21 and to sometimes, you know, 13 to 40 before you actually feel like a man. And I think for me personally, my rite of passage was becoming a father. And I didn't do that until I was 35. So it's easy to kind of get lost in this adolescence. And, you know, something that a lot of these legend trips can do is kind of be part of that process from going from youth to adult. So I think that's uh, kind of an important structure of that. They help us connect with history, connect with others to gain empathy through facing our fears and also gaining independence. And I think what I really think is um, they're part of a hero's journey. So your audience is probably no stranger to the hero's journey where Joseph Campbell asserts that many stories contain fundamental similarities in theme structure and symbolism. And Campbell, he was convinced that uh, a heroic journey or a pattern of a heroic journey was present in any story that was worth retelling. And I'm convinced that by taking part in these legend trips is you acting out the hero's journey. Because when you go on one of these legend trips, you're called to the adventure of going to a place and doing a specific thing. Um, going there, even though that you're scared and actually being initiated in participating in the activity in the actual legend trip or paranormal dares I talked about. Um, and then after that, um, having a transformation where you overcame that obstacle and then living to tell the tale of the legend. And then of course it's cyclical. So you're going to do it all over with your next adventure. So I think, uh, by, by doing these legend trips, um, they're really part of the human condition. And we've seen that they're not just an American phenomenon. They go back. I know, uh, when doing some research on this stuff, I found, um, some links to, um, Mark Twain, was probably one of the first legend trippers. Um, he talks about in um, the uh, Tom Sawyer in his first novel about Tom going to a cemetery at midnight to perform a ritual to remove warts. And then also going to, uh, to a cave to look for loot. So I think this is inherently a part of youth. And I think it's uh a part of the human condition that we need to experience the broader world around us. And if we can have a brush or encounter with something that is a strange supernatural or out of the ordinary, I, I think it helps us because, you know, you'll, you'll go through life and for guys that don't talk about this stuff, um, people are, they're loath to talk about any mysterious encounter or any ghost, but, Usually when you get them one-on-one -on -one in a quiet situation, they said, well, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but this one time, and then they go on with some kind of fantastical story that you just didn't expect. So um, I guess that's kind of a side tangent there, but I, I think uh, this is uh, something that I want to tap into more is going on legend trips and kind of exploring how this kind of fits into the hero's journey. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll say before I ever heard a podcast, I had a Spotify subscription and 
I got bored of listening to music and I went and looked and saw what they had for like audio books and things like that. And they had the whole Joseph Campbell archive series. And nice. uh, I ended up listening to that over the summer while dishwashing and doing this other job that I had and uh, landscaping or driving. I can't remember which one back then, but yeah, that was pivotal to really reinforcing a lot of what we've talked about today and mm -hmm. uh yeah very interesting stuff jeff i i think the hero's journey is something that everybody is on you know we hear mm -hmm. we look at the word hero now and we've been separated from it to think that a hero is somebody who is you know non-ordinary but we all have a non-ordinary portion of ourselves our consciousness is heroic it's mythic so you're on a hero's journey. You, Jeff, everyone listening to this right now on the podcast, me, myself, Tara in the room, we're all on our, our hero's journey. Yeah, definitely. So one other thing, another concept kind of in this broader realm are these things called micro adventures. Now, this was a term coined by a he was a he is a national geographic explorer he goes by the name of alistair humphreys and he says that you should go on adventures um while you're working your nine to five job go on these adventures from five until nine and a couple of these things that he suggests are something as simple as sleeping out underneath the stars or like i talked about with the drifts or the romantic strolls um taking a left-hand turn instead of a right, or just finding a sense of adventure in your ordinary life. And I think these can be therapeutic, especially in the age of technological overwhelm and uh, just increased pressure to actually take a night and sleep out under the stars. Now, I've been camping quite a few times, uh, more so in my youth. Um, I think there's only been one time that I've slept underneath the stars but it just sounds like kind of a magical thing that's um, a bit antiquated now. So I'd almost like to kind of rebirth that idea of doing that, waking up in a meadow. Just sounds like a, a great thing. Absolutely, yeah. Micro-adventure, I like the phrasing there. That's really smart. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we talk about in the scene, you know. it's This is all very parallel i love it you know it's none of none of what i wrote in this scene is you know all wholly original to me these are all concepts that anyone can tap into and yeah, yeah and almost universal yeah, in human nature exactly and then another thing that your audience will need no introduction to is synchro mysticism but i just kind of want to put a finer point on this as far as the definition so the practice of attributing mystical or, or esoteric significance to mundane coincidences. Now, when I kind of read that, um, I thought, well, mundane, that's kind of a derogatory term. But then I, I got thinking to it. And I think the fact that they're mundane to anyone else is actually where the magic is in the experience because it's only significant to you. And I think that's why uh, synchronicities or synchromysticism is special on a personal level, mm. because if it was magical to everybody, um, I just think it would, 
it, it won't be nearly as profound to you as an individual. Um, but I, I was talking about, um, I, w- I was presenting a similar slideshow to this. We were talking about um, the Beast of Bray Road earlier. Mm-hmm. I did a, um, a Beast of Bray Road conference in April. And I was uh, preparing um, a similar presentation with this slide. And I wanted an example of a synchronicity that happened to me recently. So I like fired up the Randonautica app. I couldn't get anything there. Um, and I was just kind of really searching hard for a synchromistic experience or a synchronicity to happen to me. So um, I had some errands to run before and I had my earbuds in and I was driving down the road and I was listening to um, your handbook for the apocalypse. And it was one of probably the first episodes I tune into and you and Mike were talking about um, a, a synchronicity that you shared. And I was thinking, Oh, that's really cool. So I pulled my truck into my driveway and I still had my earbuds in and uh, it was trash day. And I was going to bring in the trash cans and grab the mail while I was out there. Now I had seen this little strip of paper in my front yard and especially on trash day, you know, people's um, garbage will come flying out of their cans. And, you know, it's not unusual for a piece of litter to end up in my front lawn. So I saw this little piece of trash and I probably walked by it six or seven times between um, bringing in the trash cans in, walking to the mailbox, getting a letter. And then finally, I'm listening to you guys on the podcast in my ears talking about synchronicities and I walked over and mind you, I was looking to have a synchronistic experience that I could share in my slideshow the next day. And then I reached down and I picked up the little piece of paper and it was a corner of an envelope and it said synchrony bank, Orlando, Florida. (laughs) Now I am not a member of synchrony bank. I've never heard of it. I'm in Wisconsin. I would not bank with a bank in Florida because it's not regional to me. Um, I don't know if my neighbor did, did work there, but I think it was kind of a, what Chris Knowles calls a sync wink. I was looking so hard for synchronicity, uh, trying the Randonautica app. And then I was listening to you guys talk about synchronicities and I reached down and there is the word that shares both the root word with um, synchronicity and this, synchrony. This, so I thought that was kind of cool. This seems even more so, I would say, like the word synchronicity mixed with the word irony. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, it was, it's, almost, it, it's almost too blunt. Yeah. And it, if I, I still have this little strip of paper sitting on my desk here, and I, and I took a picture and included it in my, my slideshow because I thought this was just hilarious. And then the, the actual um, definition of synchrony, because I had never even heard that word before. Um, obviously, I've heard of synchronicity and synchromysticism and all that stuff. But syn- synchrony is the way in two or more things happen, develop, move, etc. at the same time or speed. So I'm like, that is just fucking perfect. So right there on the little strip of paper that I walked by six or seven times. And it wasn't until I was seeking it out 
in listening to you and Mike talk about this, um, that it actually occurred. So I thought that was kind of profound and thought that was a a cool story to share with the class. For sure. I feel like I heard this already, but maybe you talked about this when you're on esoteric America, you might've mentioned it towards the end. Actually, I think I, uh, I think after it happened, I, I dropped you and I am on okay on Instagram. Okay, yeah. good. Because so. I, I, if that wasn't the case, I was about to say, "Oh God, I've had a similar synchronicity." No, I think I think it was that. But yeah, yeah. I figured that was uh, you know, we talked but, about synchronicities not okay. being because this photo looks big. familiar. I think I even yeah. showed it to Mike. So okay, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was that was really cool how that kind of manifested itself and. It just seems like too, um, too significant not to be like, hey, and and I like your you thinking synchronicity and irony right there in the name, right? Very cool. Um, so kind of winding down here, and um, one thing I know, um, Nathan Isaac from Penny Royal, he talks about reenchanting the land. And I think some practical ways for you to do that is by collecting and talking about um, folklore, especially local folklore. Um, And one thing you can do that is by those historical markers. You can actually, at least in Wisconsin, you can um, file a petition to get a historical marker placed on a historical place. Um, And preservation efforts, um, going out and seeing those, historical societies and say, you know, what are your preservation efforts? What are you trying to preserve and how can I help? And then another thing um, called culture jamming. Um, It's defined as a form of protest used by anti-consumerists to disrupt or subvert uh, a media culture or a specific narrative. I think um, Tim cast, they, they like to engage in this to kind of, um, kind of snub their nose at the, at the ruling class. I think it's a, a a really neat um, way of without being overt kind of slyly um, breaking mainstream paradigms and narratives. And I think that's um, kind of important thing for, you know, if you feel called to do it, to to at least look into. And then re-enchanting your life. Now I talked about, um, you know, my, my walk with my daughter and kind of reframing the world around us. And one of these things, instead of just going out to run an errand, go on missions, um, look for synchronicities and keep a log. Um, since the beginning of this year, I started keeping a synchronicity log. So whenever something happens to me, I'll just open my Evernote and drop the date and then just a brief description of what happened. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Mark, but I'll have synchronicities and I'll write them down and then I'll move along. And then I'll look at my log like a few weeks or months later and be like, Oh yeah, I remember that. But like, I can't remember the specifics. Has that happened to you? Absolutely. I chalk it up usually to just not having a great memory though. (laughs) Yeah, but, but I do. I, 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 have a, I have a good memory. Yeah, and and I think I do too. But it, and and I always remember after, um, after looking at it and writing it down. But 
I couldn't tell you right now without looking at my file, like which ones I had that were significant other than what I just shared. So I think it's, it's almost like a dream state where you'll come out of a dream and you'll remember, you know, all the details, but as you become more and more awake, more of more, more and more of that slips away throughout the day. So I think there's something tied in between these synchronicities and this kind of dream state. And the, the other thing I, I recommend, you know, we talked about Randonautica and you have more of a manual thing with your scene where you, you use a, a compass, um, disconnecting from that technology because we're inundated with it. We can't, we're, we're always swimming in a, in a, in a sea or a soup of some form of technology. So if you can put your phone on silent or turn it off while you go out and explore these, these places, these marginal or liminal spaces, I think you'll have better results kind of tuning in them. And then um, we talked about the map of the territory with uh, that Frank Anderson um, put together. Mm-hmm. Even if it's um, a KML file on your computer, um, kind of like what I did with um, my map of Wanakee, mapping where the places where this thing happens, look for patterns. Um, I think that kind of, tunes us into place. And then another thing is do genealogy. Um, have you done much genealogy? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've, I found some, some interesting things kind of about my family through looking through this. And I'd recommend, you know, other people kind of finding the people that came before you. It seems like um, a lot of other cultures have always had oral traditions about their ancestors. And I think, you know, in the modern world we're kind of separated from that so you know pay honor to the people that came before you i found out that my it was my grandpa's grandpa came to wisconsin from germany as a migrant he couldn't uh, read or write english um he probably mostly spoke german but he found himself in the wilds of wisconsin he ended up uh purchasing a plot of land logging uh, a bunch of the oak timber, um, working in a barrel stave factory, um, pretty much sawing down that same oak that he harvests harvest from his land to make these barrels, getting paid on that, um, assembling a house and starting a farm. And, you know, we think we have it rough when Starbucks gets our order wrong. And you think about, you know, what old Fred Finnup did on a little plot of land in the wilds of Wisconsin, where it's probably cold four or five months out of the year. And to think about what he did and just kind of to remember that um, in your pursuit of things, to pay honor to the people that came before you and, you know, not, not let their efforts go to waste while you sit in front of, you know, your computer and think about how terrible your life is. Well said. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's my presentation for tonight, Mark. Cool, man. Yeah, this is great. This is, uh, reaffirming a lot of the things that I've discovered and you've gone to show that you don't have to quit your job to, to re-enchant your life. That's what it took for me, but I've never tried to discourage people from, uh, or incur, I've never encouraged people to, you know, quit their job unless it made sense for them. But, you know, I don't know your background and what you do for work, but it seems like 
you've integrated all this stuff into your life regardless of that and uh that's really cool man i I appreciate you putting it all together and and giving us a a 101 yeah thanks thanks so much for having me and and you know just to kind of go into that background of the day-to-day i i very much worked that you know seven to four p.m job that nine to five that that same window but you know i decided and i made a conscious effort to get into more of this stuff because I felt like it was kind of missing. So I would challenge other people that don't think they can do this between, you know, their, you know, job as, um, you know, a father or, um, you know, a husband or a wife to actually kind of see how, you know, they can integrate some of this into their life and bring other people on along for the ride. Because I think it's, it's a great thing for, you know, just your overall um, health. And also it can reinforce relationships by, you know, exploring this stuff, talking about it and um, exploring that. I know I've created a lot of great memories over the past few years, um, you know, just exploring this stuff, going out, experiencing it, taking my kids, even though we might not have the same objectives, you know, I'm looking for this weird stuff or researching you know, ancient cultures, you know, going to Astalon and climbing on top of the pyramids where they're just having a great time. So there's something in it for everybody. And as long as you can frame it as, you know, going on an adventure, um, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, pick up the scene, but Jeff, where could people go to support you? Obviously Badgerland legends on Instagram, do you have a website? Yeah. Do you have anything that you plan yeah, on doing? Yeah, check out the, uh, if you like this kind of stuff, check out the Wisconsin Legend podcast. Um, cool. We've dropped seven episodes so far. We're doing kind of a seasonal thing, but we're going to get this um, rolling here. Uh, now that Mike's tour uh, schedule is is wrapping up, um, we're going to definitely dive into some deep dive topics. So far, we've covered Ed Gein, Jeffrey Dahmer, who's been uh, popular Um conversation right now um wisconsin's werewolf you want to hear more about that we did a whole episode on the bray road um these little people in a place called haunchyville almost like um circus dwarves um really interesting kind of concept there uh devil's lake and then wisconsin's oldest um ghost the ridgeway phantom so give it a listen if you like it you know rate it give it five stars and then if you want to find me uh, Badgerland Legends, both on uh, Instagram and Facebook, badgerlandlegends.com. And then check out this Wisconsin Legends group on Facebook if you want to, you know, engage in more uh, of uh, what makes Wisconsin legendary. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't use really use Facebook, but I got to go and see what the Connecticut uh, groups are, are looking like. Maybe there's a Connecticut Legends group I could find, but... Very cool, Jeff. I love this. I love the inspiration that hopefully we have uh, instilled in whoever's listening to go out and discover what's in their backyard. And, and of course, hit me up when you do because we'd love to have you, uh, like we had Jeff, on our other show, Esoteric America. And uh, from there, you know, wherever else this goes. Jeff, I, I'm sure people are going to get in touch with you after hearing you on this show to have them have you on their own podcast, but this has been fun, man. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, taking time and hearing me out here. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know what to do. Go check out Badgerland Legends, Instagram, Facebook, or just go to the .com. And uh, as for me, I'll catch you in the outro. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Hey, what is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I want to take a moment to tell you about the new rap intro song that we will be featuring at the end of this episode and possibly uh, from here on out at the beginning of future episodes. But real quick, I want to tell you about someone who recently sent me their products. I think they're really awesome and worth telling you about. Uh, Galaxy Treats. If you're a pothead like me and you like getting high, this is a good way to do it. Delta 8 THC gummies. They're legal. They still feel great. I'm over here. I'm munching all of the different flavors they sent me. Starberry. We got Blue Raz Rocket. And of course, my favorite mars mango and i don't have the container because i ate them all already <laughs> yeah i got a big tolerance maybe you don't these are perfect for you if you don't or even if you have a big tolerance like me you might go through them pretty quickly because they're easy to snack on but uh from a seasoned stoner like myself i think they get my stamp of approval i don't typically even really use edibles more of a blunt guy Uh, this review is kind of blunt but these gummies really won me over they're potent they're tasty and they don't have that weird chemical sort of flavor that some edibles tend to have Uh, they're just like any candy you would find at your local dispensary or maybe candy shop they taste great so go to delta8galaxy.com that's delta8 numeral 8 galaxy.com delta numeral 8 galaxy.com you can find all the information you need to place your order wherever you are delta 8 is legal in all 50 states make sure you are 18 years old or older actually i'm pretty sure you need to be 21 make sure you're 21 years old before you purchase delta 8 gummies okay so if you're turning 21 within the next month maybe ask your parents to get you some delta 8 gummies for christmas Thank you folks for tuning into this episode with Jeff Finnup. He joined us on Esoteric America episode 8. He told us all about Madison, Wisconsin and some places uh, in that area. We also recently went to Wisconsin uh, with Steven Snyder who joined us on that very same show, Esoteric America. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's available on Rockfin, it's available on YouTube, and it's available wherever you listen to this podcast. So check that show out. Uh, I've never been to Wisconsin myself, so I don't know uh, why all of a sudden there's a focus on Wisconsin, just sort of synchronistically came up. 
but I think it's a fascinating concept, this concept of a kimo demeshi, uh, the idea that you go on a sort of journey with your friends and build up courage, face your fears. And that's what my girlfriend and I do when we go on journeys and go exploring. And it's incredibly rewarding. We found many different strange, anomalous, unaccounted for stone structures. So go out into the wild and see what you find. Maybe you'll have an experience that's worth sharing on this show. Maybe you'll do some research and join us on Esoteric America. That is the intention of that show. We're not restricting our guests to just authors and podcasters. Anyone is welcome to research their local area and join us on our Esoteric America podcast. Even if you live in Canada, in Mexico, really anywhere in the world, we'll have you on the show. So anyways, thank you folks checking that out i appreciate everyone who's been supporting that show esoteric america i do a couple of other shows uh in conjunction with this my family thinks i'm crazy podcast we just recorded a new episode of illuminati confirmed with old world florida speaking of esoteric america i'm hoping to have dr narco longo on esoteric america to talk about florida maybe juan will be there as well a very interesting episode just did that one this evening um i also do another show with michael one called your handbook for the apocalypse i'm putting out another new episode it's available right now i'm gonna be putting it out after i edit this episode that you're listening to right now so yeah a bunch of stuff's going on how does he do it two podcasts a week or more plus other podcasts that I'm working on. There's a lot going on over here. I can't do it without your help. Please support the show uh, with a one-time donation. You can make that donation via Cash App or Venmo, uh, PayPal. Not as friendly as it used to be. We also have a Ko-Fi store. The Ko-Fi store has a bunch of different ways that you can support. Maybe you can be a part of the Secret Wisdom Dialogue, like our last guest, John Doe, who... Uh, maybe you can tell remained anonymous due to his story and it was compelling i think i'm gonna post it here on the my family thinks i'm crazy feed and you can become a part of that show go to the ko-fi store the link is in the description and sign up for a synchro wisdom dialogue today that's one way you can support the show you could also support our sponsors we got the hit kit go to hitkit.us to check out this awesome, awesome device that my friend Garrett has put together. It's a great way to hold whatever you like to smoke, whether that's a cigarette, a joint, a spliff, a blunt, who knows, whatever you roll up, you can hide it away in your hit kit right next to your lighter. And whenever you're ready to smoke, no matter where you are, maybe you're on a kayak, maybe you're on a hike, maybe you're uh, in a van, maybe you're uh, on a carousel, who knows, you could use your hit kit there and uh support the show you can use the promo code crazy i think promo promo code crazy or promo code mftic if that one doesn't work and you get 20 percent off your purchase with the hit kit uh, we also have uh, an incredible deal with george wiseman and the aqua cure 
If you're interested in learning all of the health benefits of hydrogen, you can pick up a AquaCure device and really change your health using this hydrogen machine. It bubbles the hydrogen in the water, creates hydrogen gas that's safe for you to breathe. And if you haven't heard me talk about that before, go back and listen to my interview with George Wiseman or go to his website, eagleresearch.net to find out more information about that. Of course, you can use the promo code MFTIC to get 20% off your purchase of the AquaCure, which is it's a pricey device. It's, a, it's something that'll last forever. You can keep it in your kitchen, your bathroom, wherever you think you're going to use it. I recommend kitchen or living room. But um, yeah, definitely look into that if you think that's the right thing for you. And it's a great way to support the show because when you use the promo code, we get a little uh, affiliate earn whatever the right term is i don't know commission we get a commission so help out the show in any myriad of ways we also have a book list if you're interested check out my mystic marks library it's on the website myfamilythinksomecrazy.com you can go there you can find the book list and you can see what i recommend you read there's a bunch of books there it's not a complete list i'm still adding to it week by week so go and check that out. AltMediaUnited.com, of course, is the podcast cooperative that I founded to help podcasters avoid censorship and have a place to call home on the internet. Not a network, we're a cooperative. We have no creative control over any of the podcasters. Uh, we just ask them to play nicely with one another. And you'd be surprised how often people can't do that so anyways support the show we got a lot going on i can't do it without your help uh, as for me i'm going to work on that episode i mentioned that i did with michael one and i'm then i'm gonna go to sleep i'm gonna go to sleep early tonight so anyways thank you for tuning in and have a great moment wherever you are in the now peace and one last thing shout out to the rapper Tao Shu, who made this awesome new My Family Thinks I'm Crazy special edition rap song. So enjoy this My Family Thinks I'm Crazy anthem wherever you are in the now. Yeah, MFTIC. It's I gotta know the truth, don't you hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the song trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers, searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, it's no measure for help To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war of the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on you Repetitive messaging and big pharma injections Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it and the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling through the library of the Vatican 
on a sacred journey I embark with the squad Keep spitting that truth like Mark on the pod I gotta know the truth, don't you hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety It's no measure for help To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade Set up.